for November 3rd, 2014. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 331. Ecce homo. Paul Walker floats in slow motion. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I'm Matt Rather, back uh, from a brief hiatus from hosting, and that is Pete Fenzel. Hey, Pete. Hey, Matt. How are you, sir? <laughs> Daddy's got to go to work. <laughs> uh, wait, I'll explain what I'm referencing in, in just a minute, if you don't know already. And truly, if you are an overthinker, you should. <laughs> if you but, weren't yeah. watching it right before you turned on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> on repeat all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Pete is going to be one of our famous two-handers tonight. I look forward to these. I got to say, I really enjoy doing these with you. I, I mean, I enjoy the podcast in all of its incarnations. It's really a pleasure to do, which is, I think, why we've managed to do it for six years uh, uninterrupted um, with, uh, without uh, missing a week of delivering original content on the podcast feed. Um, but uh, I, I look forward in a special way to the ones that you and I get to do together because I think we have a good time. Thanks, man. The best way to drive is with two hands on the wheel. That's what I always say. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, um, listen, we uh, we're, we have some stuff that we want to talk about. We, we want to talk about Halloween. We have a little listener feedback that we uh, – we have a little listener feedback that we want to uh, cover. But, um, but first, we just have to highlight <laughs> – I mean, Pete said to me uh, just actually before we started recording, Matt, have you seen the Fast and Furious 7 trailer? I suppose it's just Furious 7. Um, Have you seen the – oh, wait. I I have not subscribed in YouTube to the Fast and Furious channel. I have (laughs) rectified that problem right now. I just click subscribe on uh, on that. Um, By the way, Overthinking It has a YouTube channel where we have both original videos and uh, some of the Google Hangouts stuff that we've done for TV recaps and and alternative podcasts and stuff like that. Uh, You can subscribe. Search for Overthinking It on YouTube. You'll find us and you can subscribe to us uh, there so that our videos come in automatically into your YouTube feed. We'd love it if you did that. Also, subscribe to the Fast and Furious uh, channel because it's awesome. So uh, if you look in the show notes, you'll find a link to the trailer for Furious 7, which Pete turned me on to. And, uh, and so um, he, Pete just uh, uh, underwent a very interesting experience, which is that he was listening to my reactions through our <laughs> Skype call to the Furious 7 trailer while I was, but without hearing any of the audio of the Furious 7 trailer. And Pete, I'm guessing it sounded like it sounded something like this. Like, there would be a long silence, and then, oh, my God, that's awesome. (laughs) I think the first thing you just said was, wow. (laughs) And unbeknownst to you, I was also watching the Furious 7 trailer, but it wasn't synced up with yours. So I had to guess what parts of the trailer you were saying (laughs) wow about and what parts you were reacting to and which parts uh, were merely the ones I was reacting to as I was watching it. Right. Um, so, uh, we, we want to, um, we want you to go watch this really. I cannot recommend this trailer highly enough. I mean, it like, I, I would say it starts at a, it sets a pretty high bar with the first stunt in the trailer and then just goes up from there. You know, <laughs> it, it really, it just, there's just so much escalation of what's at stake. <laughs> it's, and, and this is like, this is a question, right? Like, how do you raise the stakes? You know, when you're storytelling, like, how do you take it to the next level so that the story story kind of progresses and gets more exciting and there's kind of a rising action that that leads to a climax and for an object lesson in how to do this you really must uh either youtube search for furious 7 official trailer or uh just click the link that that is in the show notes um for this podcast and and do it so pete i i guess as a question of the week um I guess I really, I really. We might have to provide multiple answers to this question. (laughs) There's only two of us. This could do like an eight-person podcast. It would be a great question for an eight-person podcast, right? Right. For just two of us. Yeah. No, Pete. It would be a great question for a two hundred-person podcast, (laughs) where three hours was spent just just answering the question that I'm about to ask. What was the most awesome part of the (laughs) Furious Seven trailer? Of all the many awesome parts. 
Yes, uh, which was the which was the best. Uh, first in the alphabet, I'm going to drink. I I have a, a Trader Joe's wine. It doesn't come out of a box, so I guess I'm moving up in the world. But it was on special at an end cap display uh, at one of the aisles in the the Trader Joe's in walking distance of my home in beautiful Culver City, California. Um, the uh, the Cote de Rhone that was on special for five ninety nine today and is uh, is pleasantly dry and uh, and surprisingly good for. I'm going to take a drink of that uh, because I always play the Overthinking It podcast drinking game, and Pete Fenzel is first in the alphabet. Pete, what was the most awesome part of the Furious 7 trailer? I mean, this is a tough question to answer because the Furious 7 trailer, like all good exercises in escalation, goes through some major paradigm shifts over the course of its escalation. (laughs) Yes. Right? Like, there are escalations of a material sort. There are escalations of a kinetic sort. Yep. There are escalations of stakes in terms of risk. And then there are escalations of, in terms of, of faces and people, right? And, and it's just, I mean, it's, I have to give honorable mention to The Rock breaking his the own ca- the cast. Oh, you took arm. mine. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that was it. Daddy's got to go to work. Daddy's got to go to work, and he just breaks his arm cast. <laughs> Yeah, because clearly that's going to solve some problems. I mean, my initial reaction was Kurt Russell is in this movie, <laughs> which perhaps I'm dating myself. But you know what? It, I think there's room for a few classic cars amongst the, the chasers in this one. Um, but but really, and really, I got to say that the most and it's I think it's a really complicated note that the trailer absolutely nails which is the moment where where they, the the unseen bad guy asks vin diesel you know what about his friends right i'm gonna kill your friends or whatever and he goes yeah. i don't have friends i have family and the camera kind of like pans sideways and just gives you a really just gutsy in your face close-up of paul walker uh-huh. right and it's like and this because this trailer the one of the things the trailer establishes is that paul walker could die at any point in this movie right right like well because paul walker is dead that's the that's the fact of the yeah matter, yeah, right? yeah. It's, like, it's a, the i mean actor, that's a very interesting like bit of meta knowledge that you go into this trailer with yeah, exactly. Which is that you know Paul Walker, you know the guy who who plays Paul Walker in Fast and the Furious. <laughs> um, he sadly is no longer with us because of a car crash after a charity event, and uh, you know, and 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 you could play with this in a lot of different ways. Like the the movie Brick Mansions was like Paul Walker's in this movie, and it, he's still in it, and he's dead, but we're not really going to talk about it, but we're going to show him, and hopefully, like the attraction of this recently sissy celebrity is going to get you to see Brick Mansions. Don't really think that worked all that great. Maybe. Although, of course, the the bar was probably pretty low for Brick Mansions. It was probably more of a wrought iron fire escape. They had to, like, clamber over rather than something vaulting tens of thousands of feet in the air. Um, but in this case, they really throw it at you. Like, there's there's a really heavy meta note. The, the, the character is immediately put at risk in the trailer in, like, a way that really potentially seems like it could be his final moments in the, in the franchise. And so the suspense is really heightened. But then there's the, when he says that there's that, that, that he has, doesn't have friends, he has family, and he shows Paul Walker. It, it's really what, one of the things I just love so much about the Fast and the Furious franchise, and really why I think the Fast and the Furious franchise lines up with what Overthinking It is doing so well, which is just the, just the amount of love in this movie, uh, in these movies, for the people, for the characters and the people who work on them, and, and this idea that, you know, that we really, we all really deeply care about Paul Walker. That's the sort of like assumption that is sort of brought forward and, and sort of challenged and put to the question in this moment where Vin Diesel's character says, I, you know, I have family and shows Paul Walker, right? And it's like, we can go back because Paul Walker was that really classic moment back uh, months ago where it was like, this celebrity, there's this huge outpouring of this affection for this celebrity all over the place, right? And, and yet at the same time, like, what has he truly done, right? What has he truly done to transform the world, right? You know, the basic human condition is essentially the same before and after the acting career of Paul Walker. Um, and, of course, there's all of the Well, various- Pete, that's a high bar to set for, a, for an action star, though, for, for any – that's a high bar well, to set for Lawrence freaking Olivier, right? Like, <laughs> to, like, essentially change the human condition before and, and after. Uh, hold, hold that thought because I have a lot to say about that. But, but well, what, I mean, what was the point I that you I say it deliberately to be provocative, right? Which is like – I mean, there's just – Well, people- sir, I am provoked. <laughs> <laughs> indeed indeed um well so the point is that 
there is there there is I don't want to say that there's an expectation that the audience for the movie loves Paul Walker because I don't necessarily I mean that is true right there's an expectation that if you're going to see Fast and Furious 7 you probably love Paul Walker's representation in this movie you probably love Paul Walker kind of as a celebrity actor as a presence in your life he's probably someone you're happy to see when he comes around right this is somebody that you care about and it is just, just a daring thing uh, to sort of to take somebody who's died and to put them out there as a living, breathing movie star, right? Like this isn't like Gene Kelly dancing with – or Fred Astaire dancing with the vacuum cleaner. Right. Right? Like although that, there's probably a little bit of that. No, no, no. This is like – this is kinetic and it's vital and it's masculine yeah. and it's like powerful and it's – Yeah, like, and he you was know. alive when he filmed this movie. Right. That's the other thing. Like he was alive when he filmed this movie. He is as much alive in the the – visuals of this movie as any of the other people who are in it. And it really poses an interesting challenge to this idea of, like, mortality versus immortality. And, and alive, and, like, alive just also. in the sense, not just in the sense of, like, of, you know, drawing breath, but in the sense of vitality also, yes. right? That, like, yes. he has such vitality yeah. in, the, in the, his appearances in this trailer. Yeah, and, and I mean, I'm, I'm blabbering a little bit because it's so hard to nail down, but it's pretty clear and you know, Vin Diesel is the only celebrity that I like on follow on Facebook because <laughs> he's he's worth it because um, he's got the best. He's like one of the most popular uh, Facebook profiles out there because he's just a very positive guy, posts a lot of cool stuff. Um, but from following that and from following Fast and the Furious news over over the various months that it's been in production, um, you know that you know Paul Walker after he died and they needed to fill in shots for Paul Walker in the movie, right? Um, Vin Diesel first is like, he's still going to be in the movie. Like, we're not going to cut him out of the movie just because he's not there. He's part of the family. He's not going to get cut out of the movie. We're not going to replace him. And then just the most astounding thing about that whole story is how they filmed in the stand-in shots to fill in the parts of the movie. Yes, some of it's CGI, but a lot of it is his brothers, right? And you heard about that, right, Matt? Yeah, I talked about it on the podcast where it was his two brothers who play him in the stand-in shots in the movie, which extends this idea of family and this idea of sort of people's relationships with individuals. I mean, it goes back to the very first Fast and the Furious where these, you know, people are kind of their, their outcasts, their, you know, not, not just outcasts, but they're just like, they are messed up people who have really, really bad problems and have a lot of difficulties surviving in the world and, and whose own lives may seem to be a very little value, but in the relationships that they have with other people, they find a redemption and elevation. They find, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say purpose, right, but joy and and a sense of, of value, right? And and, and that own just it's it's just so thematically consonant with everything that's been happening in the franchise up until this point, except for the second one, you know, like um, that that it's just uh, it's just so it's just such a perfect weird meta casting relationship between reality and fiction that the movie seems to. It just like you think about sort of the way that Heath Ledger was enshrined, you know, when he died after the Dark Knight, right? And he yes. became this kind of legend, and he became this like. And there's this idea that uh, you, you almost kind of mention him breathlessly in terms of you know his his recognition for the part and his esteem among action characters and 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 villains and superhero movies and and there's a sense that he definitely was kind of made into a bit of a marvel statue i mean you, you already touched on it right like you know kurt cobain dies and, and he becomes this immortal figure this legend right and um you know like you know, goes all the way back to you know jim morrison and other people they die and they're sort of they become they they sort of trans their public figures transform into this this thing that is that is sort of timeless um but paul here paul walker has died and he isn't just as you said it's not timeless it's vital it's moving right it's like we celebrate we celebrate the walker in vivo right like you know we sing the body electric and and electric assisted power steering right we, we sing the we sing the body electric assisted power steering uh, i mean i'm just i'm just off the hook there i mean what, what about you what, what are some of the do you have anything to say about any of that or do you have other awesome parts from the fast uh, furious 7 trailer that you want to talk about uh well i i mean i don't know i i do want to talk i, I all of it yes i mean my yeah. answer to your question is do do i want x or y my answer is yes um i just would like to point out i just liked vin diesel on facebook uh okay. The the trailer for um, the trailer for Furious Seven has six hundred and fifty six thousand two hundred two likes. 
uh, on it, and uh, thirty four thousand seven hundred and sixty nine comments uh, on it. So that's that's. I, I mean, you know, I mean, we do those kinds of of uh, numbers on the overthinking at Facebook page. Uh, yeah, we can count that high. Yeah, <laughs> we could. T- I could type those numbers in the overthinking at Facebook page oh, right yeah. now. I do all kinds <laughs> of numbers, like like <laughs> you know. 5,000, that's a number. Yeah. 30. Over 9,000. Yep. yep. <laughs> 525,600. It's a great number. That's a no- yeah, that's a number. I mean, you know, I don't know. How do you measure, you know, measure a Facebook page? Um, I'm, I'm just going to say we're, we're just just shy of the line of 20,000 likes on the overthinking at Facebook page. So if 10 people would like to go and like overthinking it on Facebook and just not just over the edge, we've been floating up to that edge for a while now. And I really would like it if, uh, you know, if we could get over from this podcast. So please, please like uh, the overthinking it page on Facebook, just search for overthinking it uh, in the search bar on, on Facebook. But let's talk about the Furious 7 trailer for a second. So I think that the first minute, minute and a half of this trailer is taken up with what, what I'm assuming is the first, is the pre-credits uh, action sequence of the movie, right? Mm. Which is that... Um, which is that all the cars are in a cargo plane. <laughs> they drive out <laughs> into nothingness, which was, I think, when I shouted, wow, uh, for the first time watching yes. the trailer. They drive out into the abyss, into the vast nothingness of freefall, right? And then uh, uh, parachutes deploy from the cars, and they, uh, they parachute down onto the road because apparently they they were not able because they're going to assault a bus and rescue uh what looks like a young woman from the bus where she is imprisoned uh against her will and uh, can someone be imprisoned with their consent i mean i suppose if you believe it's a nation of laws and not of men but uh but really i I suppose everyone would prefer not to be imprisoned right like that's that's uh, i I suppose you get into situations of like hostages like was the did the greyjoys consent to theon greyjoy's imprisonment in winterfell right like that's hard to say that's (laughs) a good yeah i mean that's a good question i mean he he definitely theon basically you know theon basically tried to give it back to them right like tried to uh well, and did for for a minute, but but no spoilers on this podcast. Yeah. Um, we uh... then John Wick got him, so <laughs> <laughs> that was that. <laughs> uh, but we, uh, you know, so so the the climactic scene of this action sequence of this assault on this prison bus, right after the the uh, rescuee, right, is made to jump from from the bus back onto the or sort of pushed uh, out of the bus. Um, uh, onto one of the cars, the bus crashes and goes up like the side of a cliff and, and flips over on its side. And of course there's a cliff nearby and the bus slides and, uh, you know, and sort of jackknifes and turns around so that, um, the, the open end of the bus, which has been exploded open, uh, the rear end of the bus is hanging out over a cliff and the bus, uh, begins to teeter precariously on the edge of a, uh, on the edge of a cliff as its center of mass shifts, uh, over the cliff or as rather as, uh, the edge of the cliff crumbles, um, so that there is a new edge of the cliff that is <laughs> to the, you know, on the wrong side of the business end of the bus's center of mass. And what, what Paul Walker does inside the bus which is flipped onto its side so you've already had the interior shot of the bus flipping and Paul Walker being thrown on his side uh, as gravity pulls him down onto the the side of the bus which is now the floor of the bus is he sprints to the (laughs) edge uh, he sprints to the open edge of the bus again in the abyss right (laughs) Yep. like clambers up Onto the outside side of the bus, which is up, right? Yep. And as the bus is falling down, as the incline is sloping ever and uh, ever more, you know, precariously heavenward, you know, yeah. Paul Walker sprints up the <laughs> side of the bus and leaps just as it falls. And as you can see, the space. And while this is all. <laughs> <laughs> you can see the spell. I'll, I'll let you. I'll, I'll hand it off to you in a second, Pete. Yeah. And, and with a, with a cliffhanger, literally. Um, and uh, you know, as the bus falls off, his legs 
spring off the the anterior corner of the bus, and, or I suppose the posterior corner, uh, but it is the anterior corner, right? Because uh, the front of the bus actually wasn't blowed up. The back of the bus was blowed up, but it's turned around. So the he he sprints off. He leaps. His 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 legs just spring off the front corner of the bus <laughs> into nothingness near the edge of the cliff. And what will become of him? Pete, you want to take it from here? (laughs) Meanwhile, as as Odysseus putting out the the bowl of black sheep's blood for the dead, (laughs) Michelle Rodriguez screams herself toward the abyss. Michelle Rodriguez, whose character died in Fast and Furious, which is, if you're paying attention, is Fast and the Furious 4, and was resurrected uh, later on only to have crippling amnesia. But she, who is the closest to, to death of the Fast and the Furious characters, screams towards the abyss in her sports car and fishtails into a Tokyo drift, right? Oh, yeah. Full-on, full on, you know, just skid out, drift, backhand swings, all all the way around and and just dangles and just dangles like the baby Achilles into the river sticks the spoiler of her car off the edge of the cliff you know sort of sweeping sideways along like the very brink of non-existence with the just I'll, I'll hand it back to you Matt to finish the description of the stunt <laughs> and and Paul Walker as he floats like a leaf on the wind through the air you know what I think I think it's I think it's time to resurrect the Greek the Greek chorus right <laughs> low low we the rocks the humble rocks at the edge of the cliff have crumbled and fallen have failed in our mission for thousands of years we have uphold upheld the edge of the cliff and now we tumble under the weight of a prison bus into nothingness into the deep chasm below but low all is not lost for behold above us ecce homo paul (laughs) behold the man paul walker floats in slow motion above us having leapt off the anterior edge nay before it was the posterior edge but now the anterior edge of the bus (laughs) and flies through the air like a man whom we would all call super only (laughs) only to latch his hands onto the spoiler of michelle rodriguez's sports car lo the spoiler that has fishtailed lo the spoiler that has tokyo drifted to the very edge of where once we stood proud all is not lost. Civilization will continue. We continue our descent into the abyss below. <laughs> As all buses must descend. <laughs> As all brick mansions must one day fall. But I mean, I also, to be fair, just so that so, just to sort of head off a couple of well actuallys, it's not entirely clear that Paul Walker actually grabs the spoiler of the car, but he might grab like a cage or some sort of other thing that's hanging off the back. Of fair the enough. Car. But just the idea that, like, that the previously dead Fast and the Furious character is the one who speeds towards the edge of the cliff to pull him back for this one last ride. It's like, your time isn't over. You know, you're being called back uh, for one more Fast and the Furious movie. It's just amazing. And that's how it starts, right? That's how it starts. Um and, and it's just it's just so profound. And I mean, yeah, like it is. I don't understand. Man, I mean, to say it escalates from there is accurate. But there are things that come afterwards that are a little bit more pedestrian. You know, the parties and the music and the the awesome suits and the the awesome cars. But I mean, yeah, you're right. It is it is the cage. I'm sorry. I've just I've just reviewed it. Uh, but it's yeah. the rear. I mean, it's the rear of the it's the rear of the car. Yes, this is pretty. Yeah. Freak, this is pretty freaking amazing. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. You know what, Pete? Let's call our shot. Let's 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 just throw our hat over the wall. Okay. By the time Furious 7 is released on April 3rd, 2015, <laughs> oh, so far away. <laughs> it is my settled intention that we will have released overviews 
for every film in the Fast and the Furious <laughs> series. <laughs> that is going to be a busy April if we're scrambled to deliver on this promise. I, I can know. do that. Oh, let's do it. Let's freaking do it. That'd and, be sh- I'd be do that. Yeah, sure. And that, maybe maybe uh, world's greatest expert on the Fast and Furious, Hannah Fole, will join us for some of them. For several of them, I, w- yeah. I would hope. Um, that, that we will release overviews and that we will host in our various cities a global party. Mm. To celebrate Furious Seven, the release of this film, I'm I like I believe in action cinema again, having watched <laughs> this trailer, and that's <laughs> and that's you know what I mean after after some of this summer, that's that's uh, quite a thing to say. Yeah, I mean I I've, I've had a little bit of a moment to think about it, and I think part of what's so astounding about all this is that. Um, so that you know, there's like the the sort of Emily Dickinson, you know, because I could not stop for death, that kindly stopped for me, and this description that she has of kind of immortality and eternity as these states of being that are sort of associated with death or, or that are death uh, that that don't, you know, she'll say immortality and it has a note of sinister quality because it's unlife, right? And it's this sort of uh, this sort of dire place, but she at the same time paints it with this somewhat of a rosy brush uh, relative to her relatively bleak current circumstances. Uh, whatever they may be, but it's like this idea of a, a, a dead, a dead public figure, a dead artistic figure. I would say uh, being enshrined in immortality um, is 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 being here transcended by enshrining Paul Walker in mortality. Yeah. That's really what they're doing. They're not enshrining him in immortality. They're not casting him in Marvel. In marble, they're they're painting him in flesh, right? And they, they are taking this mortal person and they're showing him to you as a mortal person. And there's just such a tr- – uh, just an honesty to that. Uh, and I know the movies are fantastical and the movies do not perhaps uh, show the latest in uh, safe driving techniques or automotive <laughs> safety features. Um, and perhaps the kinetics of some of the bus interactions may not really uh, fulfill all the requirements of Newtonian mechanics. But it really is a very, <laughs> a very honest series of movies in terms of what it's trying to to um, and there is there is definitely an honesty in that you know and there's an honesty in ludicrous having fun driving a car as well. yeah. <laughs> i, I want to um, pick up on something you said about like paul walker changing the changing the human condition because i yeah. mean it it is uh you know it is um i guess it's known by some of the people on on overthinking it that i am an actor and i'm a professional actor and i'm actually like in a i i think like an elite cadre of professional actors in that i make money in all the acting unions for the past several years or i have i have made like i you know you never know when a dry spell is going to hit uh, the median income in every acting union and and i say union because like these are the professional actors these are the people who have worked on the professional stage or or television or film um the median and income is zero. More than half of professionals don't uh, get income from acting in a uh, uh, in any given year. And um, I so, but I you know I've been at this I've been at this a while. I've actually been been doing a play recently, which which was part of the reason why I've I've missed some uh, some podcasts lately. And uh, you know um, doing a play and and like this this thing this this thing being an artist <laughs> working in the american theater has made me conservative how so? What? Yeah. Um, in, in this way. Let, Are you going to tell about, talk about Benghazi now? For like 20 <laughs> no, it's about, oh God, no, so never mind. I just made, I just held myself back from making a terrible joke, okay, uh, which I'm not going to do. And I hope everybody appreciates it. Um, it has, has made me conservative, right? Like I, I feel like the, the central, the central and, and this is not, these are not my politics, right? Like this is my view of the human condition. Yeah. But my, <laughs> If you listen to this po- this podcast, you know what my politics are, uh, and and this is not them. But but like um, if uh, the, the it seems to me like the essential the essential sort of uh, bedrock liberal belief is that things get better, right? Like that people are improvable, right? That human nature is perfectible, and that we get more, and that it's a question of of 
um, guaranteeing access to information or to certain resources or to uh, certain privileges, right? That are o- that that now are only accorded to a few, but that when accorded to many, will um, ipso facto fix a lot of the the problems with with um, you know fix a lot of uh, the problems that, that we see as part of the human condition. And I think that's crap, right? Like it's always going to suck to have your heart broken. You know, it's always going to suck when your dog dies. It's always going to suck. Uh, certain kinds of things. Right. And I, and I can, it's always going to suck when your parents disapprove of your boyfriend or girlfriend. And so I can understand Romeo and Juliet, right? Like it's always going to, uh, it's always going to suck when, when you try to avoid bad news and it ends up coming in and, uh, stabbing you right in the eye. And so, uh, so I can understand Oedipus Rex, right? Um, certain things like the the ability and the very strong, powerful feeling I have uh, that, that actually working as uh, a working artist, right? Like has given me the, the strong feeling of communion I have with other artists throughout time um, gives rise in me to the very deep conviction that it's not getting any better, you know, that, and, and that these, uh, these are sort of core human dilemmas, right? That aren't um, that aren't necessarily improvable, and that that these are the things that, that you know, four thousand years from now, they're still going to understand. I mean, God willing, if the oceans don't rise and, and drown us all, um, the oceans aren't going to rise that much. Oh, good. Thank you. Not, not, not all of us. Not to drown us all. There'll be lots of problems, but they won't drown us all. Oh, good. Some of us will be on hills. So. I'm so, so relieved. Hashtag TCOT. But the, um, the next time was going to be with fire anyway. So, about it. so you, you know what I mean? So when you say like Paul Walker as an actor has not managed to change the human condition that much, right? Like Marlon Brando, Laurence Olivier, right? Like... Uh, uh, the, the Sarah Bernhardt, right? Like the great actors throughout history have not uh, changed the human condition one iota, um, and it's uh, uh, and it's unlikely that 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 anyone will. I think. I think I think that's true. Well, I mean, there's a couple of different approaches to what you just said. Uh, there's a couple of different ways to address it. Um, I feel like we'd be, and I agree with you substantially, but I feel like there's a couple of edges of it to suss out. One is that there are certain things that do get better, um, right? And it, and it would be it would be remiss to to totally miss on them. You know, like vaccines. Like vaccines are awesome. Yeah, right? sure. Vaccines are better. Universal suffrage is better, right? right? Like potable drinking water for the whole population is better. Yes, yeah. fair enough. And, and maybe that's not a one-way street. You know, maybe we'll be in a place where we have less potable drinking water. There'll be times of feast and famine and good and bad. Uh, but, but there are certain ways in which I think we're pretty lucky to be born where we are, when we are, and all that stuff because things did get better at a certain point. Um, how, but I, that the, the interesting thing is that things getting better still doesn't fundamentally change what we're describing as the human condition. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about a, I'm not, talking about a sort of non-technological level, right? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. Well, even more, the, even more than that. Like, the technology does its thing, but, you know, it, it, only, it, it can only add so many minutes to the clock. You know what sure. I mean? Like, there's still all sorts of other practical problems that people face that are irresolvable, right? And like, I mean, unless you're you're on board with the singularity and all that, but uh, which we don't necessarily have time to get into in this podcast because uh, it involves infinite time or something. Uh, but uh, or like cha- that the one theory of like shortening the time of human consciousness, collective human consciousness, to shorter and shorter intervals, like asymptotally, so that it never really ends. Um, but anyway, putting aside all that really depressing stuff for a moment. Um, yeah, things do get better, and then the human condition, as we're describing it, doesn't necessarily change. I mean, yeah, but there, of course, it is also sort of like a cloud rather than a firm, uh, you know, than a boulder, right? In that, like, there are different perspectives on the human condition. What is the human condition? It, you know, the human condition changes as our capacity for describing it changes, as the things that we prioritize change, as discourses of power shape and change the way we talk and think about it. So, I mean, it is, there are things that are, you know, universal in a sense, but there's also constant motion and constant, you know, kind of like vibration around the, these sorts of, these sorts of truths. 
I, I tend to think. Um, and even, but even more than that, like in, in, the, the thing that I'll really sort of raise is, you know, there is the human condition and then there is a human's condition. And these are different things, uh, I think, because uh, not, not the least of which because of the confoundment that, you know, subjective experience and uh, puts toward kind of evidentiary measurements of the quality of things, um, right? It's that like, if we can only assert the things that we can measure with evidence, then we really don't have a great authority to measure with evidence the experience of individual people. We can look at large groups of people, you know, we can look at the effects uh, on, like, populations, and we can look at sort of the things that we can, the things we can measure uh, in terms of the scope of its effect on various numbers of people. But it's really hard to quantify against, you know, the problems of the whole world, you know, one person who is made happier because of, you know, the work of an artist or actor, or one person who feels more enlightened, or one person who feels more connected, right? Or, like, two people who go to see movies together, and, like, they feel more connected because they they shared in the work of an artist, right? Um, and and these are things that are much more quantifiable on, an, uh, quantifiable on an individual level. I mean, you can look at certain people's experiences and just so much of the joy that they get is out of particular works of art, right? And, and I'm, def- I'm defining art in the widest way as I always do, right? And it's like, you know, there's... Yes, not getting polio is really great, but you know what? So are the Fast and the Furious movies. And, I just, <laughs> and first of all, it's not a contest to see, like you know, to see like how little things can matter. Right? It's I, like, like you know, it's like my brother, my mother used to say to me and my brother, like I love you both. You know what I mean? Like it's not, you know, it's not like you know, like love, love, goodness, right? Warmth and light and sweetness is not a pie, you know, with a finite with a finite amount. The pie. Actually gets better, bigger with the <laughs> the pie. Actually gets bitter. Um, the pie does get bitter, uh, but no, the pie gets bigger with the more awesome things in the world, right? Yeah, definitely. And and I think and I think that if your goal is to sort of extend the time that people spend on the planet, then making the planet a nicer and more exciting place to be is like a worthy way of maximizing the value of your initial investment, right? And it's like, well, let's see. These people are going to live twenty years longer on average because of reduced infant mortality. What are they going to do with those 20 years? They're going to watch awesome car chases. <laughs> All right, that's great. But then it's like, because I think you'd fall, I think people, there are people who are like very, very, very zealous um, and very committed to helping other people. And I think that's really a beautiful thing. People for whom it is really not conceivable that enjoyment of something on your own, you know, without a sort of instrumental value to someone else can truly be like an elevated kind of pursuit. They could truly ever really be on the same plane as doing something for somebody else or doing something for the world at large, right? Like that, that these things that, that the, the, the true value is something that's greater than yourself and that focusing on yourself rather than on the larger world, you know, that's, that's, that's bad. That's wrong. And people who focus on themselves are, you know, they're entitled or they're, you know, they're frivolous or whatnot. But I, I do think that, like, if there's something that brings an individual person joy, you know, then that's a good thing, you know, and, and that, that we shouldn't necessarily, I mean, yeah, not everything that makes people happy is good, but then that's where things get complicated and why we get to keep having these conversations over and over. Yeah. But anyway, I feel like we've not come, we've, we've come, we, we have come neither to bury nor to praise Paul Walker, but to watch his trailer. <laughs> so uh, I suppose I shouldn't go too, too far deeply into this thing we've already podcasted about. So before, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. I, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Before we turn to our main subject, uh, now that we have passed the halfway point, <laughs> what, what is likely to be the halfway point uh, of our podcast, I, I want to, to uh, read a bit of listener feedback that we got okay. recently, um, considering, uh, considering actors, uh, you know, who, who work or actors who once worked, you know, and uh, actors who, who might make the world just a little bit of a better place uh, through, their, uh, through their efforts. Um, this is from uh, Hannah from Cumbria. Uh, which is in the UK. Um, and she begins, Dearest Overthinkers, having listened to the podcast for nigh on six years. Okay, I'm going I'm to pause there. What? Wow. Really? Like, that's because you are an original gangsta if you were listening for, uh, if you have been listening for six years, because we've been only doing it for, for six years and six years and four weeks uh, and something like that. So, so I'm curious, uh, Hannah from, from Cumbria, I'm curious how you got started listening to the Overthinking It podcast, where you found it uh, originally. Um, 
I am very familiar with your fondness, Matt's especially, for, quote, actors who work. I thought you might be interested in Eric Roberts, who you may know as the guy who played the mob boss Maroney in The Dark Knight, among many, many other credits. He's definitely that guy, as in, that's what you say when you see him. Oh, that guy. Now... Now, okay, Hannah, uh, Eric Roberts was was in The Expendables, so he is in the overthinking it pantheon. Oh, for, yeah. Yeah, we, we, know, we know who this fellow is, but I think you are quite right to point him out uh, as an actor who works. And um, the, the uh, knowledge that Hannah drops in just a, a second uh, is astonishing to me. Someone posted, she continues, his IMDb page to Reddit today. It lists no fewer than 66 credits for 2014. I'm going to repeat that. It lists no fewer than 66, 66, 66 credits for 2014. Um, I am scrolling through them now. Uh, one of them is a series. So, you know, he had to be there for a couple weeks working on it. Like this is, this is astonishing to me. Uh, for 2014 and a further 39 already either completed or in post-production for release in 2015 or 16. These include Human Centipede 3, a sure masterpiece which I hope will make an appearance on the podcast in the future. Not bloody likely. Anyway, obligatory (laughs) thanks for the oodles of free chat, which I've enjoyed heartily for the past few years. Thanks, chaps. Hannah, a proud UK overthinker, unfortunately not in London. I think she says unfortunately because we had a meetup in London. Uh, but in the depths of the provinces, Cumbria, look it up. Uh, Hannah, we certainly will look it up. And thank you for your, um, thank you for your letter. I want to, to qualify a couple things, right? Like, I, I, uh, I, I realize that saying actors who work, though, though it's a thing that I admire, um, may give the wrong impression. And since I've I've sort of outed myself as being as being a working actor, I uh, want to want to qualify this. There are all kinds of actors who work who don't work, right? And and when we say when we say actors who work, what we mean is actors who can work, who who work, right? Because there there are all kinds of people, um, and and there are, there are all kinds of political discourses of various kinds of injustice that that uh intersect with it because male actors work more than female actors white actors work more than minority ethnicity actors um yeah in america and uh and, and so on like down the right down the down the line of of the your sort of expected um balance of balance of of privilege and disenfranchisement um so it's it's not that uh this is why again by the way i'm against qualified voting in the union, right? Like only, only extending the franchise to people who work under a certain contract because it was de facto disenfranchise, uh, minorities and, and uh, minorities of all stripes. And by minorities, I mean people who don't work as much in the business. But, um, when we say actors who work and, and I guess we've, we've sort of addressed this before. We mean, a, we mean a very specific thing. Um, we mean people who don't think they're too good to take the parts <laughs> that come across their, uh, that, that come over the transom. Right. And I would say that Eric Roberts, uh, most certain, most certainly qualifies as, as as one of these, wouldn't you say, Pete? Oh yeah, uh, definitely. And I, I think that when we also talk about actors who work, we, we, it tends to err towards people who play the kind of roles that Eric Robert plays. Yes, where they 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 lend their considerable experience and uh, charisma and uh, skills and and all the other things they have going for them as actors, uh, largely to like genre pieces that are serving the the sort of a sort of an audience that perhaps doesn't share their personal priorities. Like that's that's. I mean, I'm not saying that's part of the formal definition, but that's something that I admire about it. Like, I don't believe that Tilda Swinton really really cares or really knows what it was like for me to watch Constantine in the theater. Sure. Right? Like, I don't necessarily think that she intuitively understands uh, in, from wherever she is in her life that this is something that I would like and value. Right? But she still contributes to it, and she still goes there and, and contributes her considerable considerable expertise and time and skills. Yes, in exchange for money, and I hope a, a great deal of it. Um, but, you know, like, <laughs> she helps make people happy who she does doesn't really know or really have any particular reason to care for. Right. Or, think, or like, or like doesn't really align with their priorities or their worldview. Yes. Right? Yes, exactly. 
And I think that that's when you see an actor who's, you know, quote unquote, like slumming or whatever. And I know I've indicted sometimes people on this. Uh, and it is funny sometimes. But like when you see an actor of considerable pedigree who's putting in work on like a genre piece, you know, it's like, well, part of what makes it entertaining is that this is not, if this person were to walk into a party full of the people that were watching this movie, like you would think that they might not really have much to talk about. Uh, right. And then at the same time, though, if you come back 20 minutes later and they're all, you know, toasting together and having Having a grand old time, you'd be like, "That's awesome that this person managed to get along with all these people, right? Like that these that these people managed to like, you know, that uh, all of a sudden, you know, like you know, 60, 68 year old Eric Roberts or whatever, however old he is. No, he's not. He's fifty eight, uh, right? Yeah, 50, 58, Yeah, uh, Eric Roberts. He gets well, along. Obviously, with we're going to put his IMDb page in the show notes, which I yeah. I highly encourage you to go check yeah. out. Yeah, definitely. So I think that's part of what what I'm taught when I think about actors who work. That's part of what I value. For so it. that's just I mean like, that's inter- that's interesting. I wanna I wanna dig into that a little bit because is it is it like um is it like they descend from on high right like because because what your point is they're not all Joss Whedon right they're not all uh, Patton Oswalt right they're not yeah. all sort of fans of the kind of niche or uh of the sort of you know niche uh, media properties right that we may be fans of. Um, you know, and yet they, they do it. And like, to a certain extent, right? Like, I think that like, I think that there's a certain amount of false consciousness among geeks, uh, or nerds or, you know, whatever among consumers of these genre, these genre media, right? Because they really aren't all Joss Whedon and, and the business of producing this media really bears, bears very little resemblance to, you know, the business of like celebrating it, which overthinking it is, is to a certain extent part of, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. uh, Tilda Swinton, right? Like uh, to all appearances is a like serious avant-garde, uh, like very artistically ambitious actress. Right. And, um, and you know, so so what is she doing in Constantine, right? Like, what what is she doing? Well, I yes, she's earning a paycheck, but it's more than that because she 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 seems more sincere, right? Than than just someone who's who's uh, sort of phoning it in. Yeah, she does. She's doing really well in these parts. Like, part of it is that she doesn't appear to be phoning it in when she's doing the acting either. Yeah. 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 Totally. Totally. Yeah. You, you have to. And and Eric Roberts. Uh, neither neither does Eric Roberts. Right. Like as a. Well, he as, sometimes feels like he's phoning. It in. Yeah, but it's <laughs> but it's, a, totally it's a it's a phoning reason. it in character, right? Like it's you know it's yeah. the CIA setting up um, uh, setting up on hell from Dexter in a uh, in a Banana Republic in in you know yeah. uh, Central America somewhere, right? Like that. This is. Uh, this is what uh, uh, the character calls for us, a certain yeah. amount of phoning. <laughs> and he brings his full power. That, I'll say that. Eric Gray Roberts brings his full power to every role that he plays. And what that power level is is up for discussion. <laughs> um, but it is, it is significant, I think. Yeah, we, we do all kinds of numbers. Yeah. I would say this, that it's like you described coming down from on high. And I think that one of the reasons why I really love actors who work is that they give they give truth to the lie of I don't even know if that's that phrase is probably being used incorrectly. Maybe you can clarify for me how that idiom works when I'm done with my sentence. But like they 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 reveal the they they reveal that the idea that there are people who are on high, they should they sort of speak to us in a democratizing way about the fact that that's not really true. Yeah. That the idea that you're on high, you're elevated above everybody else. Right, that you sort of did different kinds of just this all this sort of prejudicial stuff about different kinds of movies and different kinds of TV shows that really people's is people's, and you know, and I think that by crossing those kinds of boundaries or just by like sort of like moving from one sort of project into another, where there seems to be an intuitive, uh, you know, disjuncture between sort of esteem and, and reputation versus you know the the thing that you're watching and, and the way that the person's identity is being performed as a character within the scope of the film or the television show or whatever. You know, like, like I don't know, the, the, the laughter, right, of seeing, you know, gosh, what, like, if you see, what's another, what's another good example? Um, well, like Liam Neeson in Nonstop, huh. right? Where, like, Key and Peele, in that Key and Peele sketch, where they're talking about Liam Neeson in Nonstop as the two valets in front of the hotel, right? And they're just, like, so excited about the nonstop action and suspense of Liam Neeson being in Nonstop, uh-huh. right? And then, like, Nonstop, Nonstop, right? Like, um... I just there's there's a there's an amusement there that I think is the is the resolving of an anxiety, 
right? It's it's the uh, it's a resolving of an anxiety because it's an anxiety that these that people are too good for you, that people don't want you to have fun, that they don't want you to enjoy themselves, they don't want to contribute to your life in a positive way. And it's like, look, this person wants to do this. This person yeah. wants to be part of this. You know, like we're all kind of riding the same blue marble. Isn't that kind of awesome? You <laughs> yeah. know, that like these people can all work together on these things. That these people can cross these boundaries. Like that's I don't know. Can you tell me what giving truth to the lie means? Because well, I forgot. Sort of give 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 lie to the something. Doesn't that mean like uh, like reveal the reveal the kind of the fundamental untruth of a of a proposition that's assumed to be true, right? Like I think that's what I was that's what I was hoping it meant. Yeah, uh, um, yeah, yeah. So you, so you meant give lie to the idea that uh, there is a that there is kind of a privileged class of of people, right? Yeah, to give give lie to give lie to the enshrined halls of the holy actor, right? Right. Yeah. Like so. Right. Right. That. The, the, uh, sure. That. That sort of people in entertainment are sort of inaccessibly uh, remote and on a different level of sort of coolness and attractiveness than than uh, than you are. Right. Um, I. I mean, this is an interesting thing. Okay. So. So. Though. Right. Th- there is. I think we have a blind spot in our in our kind of oper- operationalization of this uh, uh, of this definition that that we're, that we're struggling to get our hands around, um, right? Because I would I would identify actors who work in genre science fiction, fantasy, horror, uh, stuff like that, romantic comedies, yeah, not in romantic comedies, okay. though, right? Like if you know what I mean, because that's I I I take that to be part of the mass culture. You know, is it right? Like is is Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore actors who work because they did that that god awful Africa movie? You know, like that. <sighs> that's know? a tough one. I mean, Adam Sandler is tough because you get the sense that he's running his own production company, right? And so he's putting himself in the movies. So he's not really like crossing a boundary into someone else's work. Sure, he's he's often the like the I'll, I'll bet the go no go kind of element on a property, right? Where, yeah, yeah, where like it's like, his turf. Yeah. Those things are happening on his turf. Um, but like you know, I mean, you you may you raise a good point, and you raise a good point that that feeling of of an actor who works doesn't seem as associated with like the romantic comedy genre. But I wonder if there isn't a little bit of like personal bias of like the kinds of movies that I I personally like, yeah, and that, that, that I watch, right, right, absolutely, yeah, yeah. and I th- I think that that's like that's uh, there's our good friend Stanley Fish, right? In in uh, there's no such thing as free speech, and it's a good thing too, uh, an essay that everyone should should check out. I'll see if I can find a PDF of it and link it up in the show notes, um, right? Where it's where it's you know Milton's uh, Areopagitica is a spirited defense of free speech for everyone but Catholics. Them we burn. <laughs> Them, their books, we just right. throw right onto the fire, right? Uh, everyone else, free speech, guys. Like, free speech, very, very important value. Can't have a free society with, without it, except for Catholics, right? Right. Keep those, keep those fires burning, right? Keep those book-burning fires roaring hot. You know, uh, where, it's, where it's, it's, it's always, right? Like, uh, it's always, the, the claims about value always necessarily exclude um, incompatible systems of value, right? And, and so there, there's a certain amount, even as much as we want to be nice, um, we want to be uh, nice about, like, all kinds of... of of movies and like I, I have tried to take as a principle of my life that like I, I should not look askance at someone else's pleasures, right? Whatever kinds of books they like to read, whatever kinds of movies they're into, right? Like uh, that's great, and if it gives them pleasure and happiness, well, I'm all for that. But uh, but uh, but you know, I my point of view is necessarily colored by the things that I happen to prefer uh, based on my uh, experience and my taste and my you know background and and and. And stuff like that, and so so my value system is just is um, slanted that way without my uh, even wanting it to be. Uh, you know what I mean? Mm-mm-mm. I think so. I'm having a little bit of trouble keeping up because I haven't read the fish essay, so I'm not sure exactly what the what the the thrust of it is. So wait, just to, just to reset for it, when he says there's no such thing as free speech and it's a good thing too. 
it's it's a, is he saying it's a good thing that there isn't free speech for everybody or that each individual person has their own biases about what sort of free speech other people should have yes and it goes i mean it um it uh the the when he zooms out he zooms out to the the level of like examining liberal democracy uh in which free speech is entrenched in law as a you know as a right that you have and that you can go to court and enforce uh against governments who would uh, right and, and this is a pet peeve of mine right like uh uh, you know, uh, people say the word censorship in a whole bunch of uh, places where it's not applicable, right? Like where it's like <laughs> where someone is suggesting they be polite. <laughs> they say, well, that's censorship. No, it's not. It's <laughs> it's not being an asshole. But uh, but I digress. Um, right. Like, you know, we, we think of rights as something that we can go to court and enforce and, and free spe- against the state. Right. And free speech is one of those rights that we can go go to court and and um, enforce. And uh, with the exception of of a lot of well-known and sort of well-litigated exceptions to it, putting people in danger, yelling fire in a crowded theater and things of that ilk and, and uh, you know, and other areas that, that have been um, pretty well trodden, right? Like uh, we expect, uh, we expect to be able to enforce that right. But, but he sort of examines that there's a contradiction, right? At, uh, at the core of it, um, free speech necessarily has to sort of exclude uh has to exclude speech that would militate against free speech, right? Or says that some people should have free speech and some people not have free speech, right? You're not free to say that, or, or rather, you're not free to say that and be taken seriously politically. Um, does that, does it make sense? The point that, that I'm trying to make, right? Like that there is an exclusion, right? We're, we're, uh, there is a, a, a certain amount of necessary exclusion, even in liberal democracy. And it's an exclusion of the people who uh uh, right, whose whose political views militate against the fundamental principles of liberal democracy. I see what you're coming from. I think that there's an important additional conversation to have around that about like, well, what are the mechanisms when we say that something is okay or isn't okay? What are the mechanisms that are adjudicating it? What sort of force is okay to apply in these sorts of circumstances? Right? You know what I mean? Like, are we talking about kind of like a social condemnation of a kind of talking where people don't accept it either on the basis of sort of not of like courtesy or not internalizing it or in the sense of like, you know, locking people up or i don't know it gets really it gets really complicated really fast it also gets very fluid because people are very the next generation in particular like people say people talk a lot of garbage about millennials i'll say but one thing that millennials generally do have is a very sophisticated understanding of meta narrative uh, because of the environment that they've been raised in uh which is one of like constant reframing of everything that's happening um i don't know i feel like younger people are just like just even intuitively at this point seem to be sort of like flowing you know, uh, to and from different sort of meta understandings of narratives and classifications and sort of opportunistic classification of the nature of what they're saying and, and whatnot. So it's the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, that sounds all well and good, but I feel like it could be perverted pretty easily to something that I wouldn't be comfortable with. So I'm not comfortable endorsing it. And, and so, um, you know so I mean? there, so there you have the career of the academic Stanley fish, right? <laughs> like, you no, know, it, you all, yeah. <laughs> it all sounds well and good uh, when you put it that way, like when you put it in the abstract, but it seems like there is like either a slippery slope or like a very dangerous precedent uh, being being set here, and so I'm not comfortable signing on to your agenda wholesale. Uh, though you are uh, though you are very very smart, Professor Fish, and look uh, look very good in that turtleneck. So what does this have to do with Eric Roberts, you may be asking? Uh, so what we're saying is that Eric Roberts is free to make any other ki- any kind of movie he wants, except for a movie about how Eric Roberts isn't allowed to make movies. Uh-huh. That's not true. But Eric Roberts could make a movie about how Eric Roberts isn't allowed to make movies. And I'm sure it would be good. Eric Roberts is also an entourage as himself, taking people on vision quests in the desert, which yep. is pretty great. Um, so actually, but I do want to raise something. And I, I want to get away from our talk about actors who work and really to, to zero in on this stuff happening with Eric Roberts because I'm kind of worried about the guy. Huh. I mean, if he's really doing 60, if he's doing, I mean, you're a working actor. Like, how do you do 60? I have no idea. 
I have I mean, no yeah. idea. He must not go out of town for all of them. I mean, they must be like one or two day gigs in Los Angeles, right? Um, yeah. You know, when he was on Suits, he he went to to uh, where do they shoot? Toronto or Vancouver? Like he went to Canada for for uh, it must have been a couple of weeks, right? Because he was in he was in a whole bunch of episodes of that. Um, my goodness, uh, what a uh, my goodness, what a busy schedule, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And we're just saying, Eric Roberts, you're a national treasure. Take some time for yourself. Take some time for Eric Roberts. Well, okay. So it reminds me of a particular experience I had on Redbox that I think that I <laughs> talked about on the podcast at one point, which was when I saw the movie and rented from Redbox the movie Breaking Point. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar uh, with my discussion of this or with the movie Breaking Point. I would be very surprised if you were familiar with the movie Breaking Point. The movie Breaking Point stars Buster Rhymes and Tom Berenger, uh, as well as Sticky Fingers and Amanda Sante. But uh, it's it's a it's described on IMDb as a dramatic tale of corruption and self-realization in which one man has to overcome a deep-seated conspiracy in his own lingering past in order to gain the redemption right uh redemption that he desires this makes it seems kind of exciting and the fact that it has buster rhymes right there in the front is like this looks like it's gonna be fun it's gonna be a good time and tom berenger is in a lot of like really indulgent dark sorts of action films and i saw this and it was just like really depressing it was just like a really depressing movie to watch. It was all very gray. It was all about everybody's lives being ruined. And, and I just felt like – I mean, I don't know. I, that was what the movie was about. So it's hard to make value judgments about the existence of the project when it's like that's what the – when I'm sort of conflating – when I'm very, very self-consciously conflating the experience of the people involved in the movie with what the movie looks like while I'm watching it. But it was just like – I, I'm watching this movie and I'm thinking they're making too many movies, right? Like if they're making Breaking Point with Buster Rhymes and Tom Berenger and it's finding my its way to my red box, right? And it's just like, am I convinced that this 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 project was good for anybody, right? Like, and I don't know, maybe that's just because it it just it felt so like Buster Rhymes looked really out of shape and really unhappy <laughs> in the movie. And like, I'm not convinced Tom Berenger was doing acting that he found particularly satisfying, although maybe it was. There's there's some dramatic moments in this film, right? But it's like. It's also – it's not just that, but it's like if you look through a red box and you see movies like, what, American Battleships, you see the movies that are made just to trick people into thinking they're renting a different movie. You, you know those movies, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I mean you talked a little bit about uh, – you talked a little bit about Borgia on Netflix. Yes, right? yes. <laughs> the Bor- yeah, Borgia and versus the Borgias and all that other stuff. Um, yeah, just like I, – I feel like it's kind of unethical to be making movies just so that people will click on something wrong and – buy your movie by accident <laughs> like, yep. that just seems fraudulent you know and i'm not necessarily okay with that and i'm kind of wondering you know if you're making 66 movies how many of those movies fall into this category of like you know like really kind of exploitative and by exploitative i don't mean in an ideological sense i mean in the sort of you know in a taking advantage of people's money sense right like taking advantage exploiting faults in the system of distribution right how many of these are just because of market inefficiencies right like in terms of distribution of money and identification of brands how much of them are because of like loose intellectual property interpretations how many of them are sort of like would get crushed by a lawyer if anybody cared right like you know and it, it's that makes me sad you know sometimes a red box makes me sad uh, i feel like that's <laughs> That's a, that's a country song I could sing. I think is that sometimes a red box. Being, sometimes at a red box, I rent Million Dollar Arms, starring John Hamm going to India, and it's great, and it's really fun and feel good, and I enjoy it, which I did this weekend. But sometimes a red box makes me sad, and uh, I hope that Eric Roberts isn't like in a very dark place with the sorts of movies he's making, and as they find their way inevitably to red box, <laughs> so uh, and Netflix and whatnot. The long slow. My, I mean, you know, we're all on a on a long slow decline to a red box. You know. <laughs> Oh, not Paul Walker. He is running up the side of the red box and vaulting into the void. <laughs> All right. We never got to our, our main topic, which is, I think, the mark of a successful two-hander, yes. Pete. What were this. you for Halloween, Matt? <laughs> I'm a Halloween Scrooge, Pete. I, I, you were Scrooge McDuck for Halloween? That's awesome. No, that's not, money. that's not what I meant. You know, <laughs> there, there are Scrooges besides uh, the Scrooge in DuckTales. I'm just saying that, that, that you know, you could... You could read a Christmas Bill Carol. You were Bill Murray and Scrooge. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm just going to watch Michael the... Caine, you're Michael Caine in A Muppet Christmas Carol? He's... <laughs> He played Scrooge, right? I was all of those things. I was all humanity because I can identify with all humanity because I am a conservative. 
<laughs> I was everybody and nobody all at the same time. Every human who has ever lived in the face of every baby, in the smile of every child, in the, in the you know, death of every Paul Walker who passes into the abyss. I, uh, I was there. That's, that is where my Halloween costume was. So you were Gene Hackman. <laughs> <laughs> what were you for Halloween, Pete? Oh, I was Groot. <laughs> 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 I was Groot and my girlfriend was Rocket Raccoon. It wasn't a particularly successfully executed costume, but it was but like three people got it. It's because I interpreted Groot, Groot as too leafy. Groot is more barky than leafy. Uh-huh. There are logistical problems with executing a Groot costume if you think of him like a tree. Uh, when Because if you try to use leaves, then it just doesn't read. So I had I, if I had it to do over, I would have figured out a different way to do it, but it was a fun time. Yeah, I, I, okay, I'm looking at the picture on Facebook now. Yeah, uh, yeah, d- you probably seen a picture of, of my costume, Mark One. I like remade it for the second night. Oh, I see. Okay, and good. Yeah, right. Because Halloween was like apparently an octave this year, yeah. like a good <laughs> like a good Catholic holiday, right? Like there's like Halloween and then the octave of of Halloween. Yes. Oh, the th- I find the whole thing so tedious. I mean, my God. Yeah, this well, is good thing, <laughs> good thing. We're out of time, so we don't have a chance to talk about. Right. It. Yeah. Don't send me hate mail. Oh God. Um, Here's what's going on and overthinking it at the moment. Uh, we are, you know, neck deep in the, what, what do you get? What's a good depth metaphor for Final Fantasy VI? In the uh, overthinking it book club that is taking as its text, as its book, Final Fantasy VI, um, the, uh, you know. Your entangled ultra style and it's <laughs> deep in its, in its writhing, uh, maniacal, self aggrandizing tentacles. Uh, yeah, there you go. I'm so sad that I haven't been participating in the book club because I've been too busy because I love that game. Maybe I can catch up. I want to catch up. It's, anyway, it's hard. I'm not sure if you can, you can sort of join. Uh, at this point, because there's a lot of grinding that you'd have to do in order to, uh, in order to catch up with where they are in the, uh, in the overthinking book club on Final Fantasy VI. But, uh, if you are not a gamer, as I am not really, and, uh, you want to just listen to it for, uh, amusement value, which is what I'm doing, uh, you definitely can do that. Uh, you can get the book club podcast feed uh on overthinking it and subscribe to it in the um and subscribe to it in itunes or in uh uh, from the the various links that you'll find in the menu bar of overthinking it uh also uh that's uh, something that's been going on in overthinking it is the um the overthinking it newsletter if you uh feel like um if you feel like you don't get enough overthinking it in your life you can uh subscribe to the overthinking it newsletter just put your email address into the page uh the homepage of of overthinking it and you will get a weekly newsletter with you know exclusive overthinking that you can't get anywhere else you know i something uh, we found out when we did some some surveying uh at the beginning of the year that there are two kinds of overthinkers there are uh they're the overthinkers who prefer the text articles and they're the overthinkers who prefer the media properties and and um you know and a few switch hitters but uh but largely they they sort of fall into two camps um what their favorite things are uh, on on the site and uh, if you have felt kind of a dearth of text articles and overthinking it as we've been focused I, as we have been on these sort of new media properties like a, a bunch of different podcasts that we do and uh, some video stuff and stuff like that. Um, if you feel a dearth of text articles, you know a great thing to do is to subscribe to the newsletter, get the email newsletter you will get a text article every week from Overthinking It, an original Overthinking It article that you can't get anywhere else. We're not republishing them, we're not you know, syndicating them. We're not, it's, it's its own thing. And, uh, you got to sign up to get it. So sign up on the homepage of overthinking it.com. And, uh, we will be back next week with more podcast. Um, so, uh, thank you, Pete, for doing the two-hander with me. I always appreciate it. Two thumbs up, man. Two thumbs up. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you for breaking off the arm cast of, of <laughs> you know, I'm just sorry, I can't even go metaphor. I, I, my metaphor reservoir was drained when I, uh, when I did the, uh, the Greek tragedy of the, uh, of the stones who, um, of the stones who crumble under the, the mighty bus of Paul Walker. The, uh, the uh, podcast will return next week with more Overthinking It. Uh, Till then, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the podcast culture not just not just the fast and the furious series but mostly that uh to, <laughs> to a level of scrutiny it, it probably, probably doesn't doesn't deserve, deserve.
There's a lot of Bob's Burgers people this Halloween, that's for sure. I saw a BoJack Horseman. I even saw a John C. Riley guy from Tim and Eric. Halloween this year was basically a list of things that should be on my Netflix queue but aren't. 